close the Jira tickets for the day. Done. <laughs> so I hope everyone is having a good week. It's Wednesday. It is midweek, the hump of the week, if you will. It just means that it is a live stream here on How to Code Well. I hope you guys have had an awesome uh, awesome few days and an awesome weekend last week and two. Right now, it's proper gusty outside, really windy, to the extent of my neighbor's <laughs> my neighbor's tree said hello to uh, to our fence. So I have that to play with and deal with uh, later on this evening. Nothing, nothing major. Just uh, just a couple of bits of unexpected DIY when uh, when it doesn't feel so gusty outside. But anyway. My name's Peter Fisher. For anyone who is new here, I am a freelance web and mobile applications developer, and I've talked on the Wednesdays in this live stream about what I've been getting up to as a freelancer, all the things that uh, kind of matter to me in the web world and the dev world. And it's a, a chance where I can actually talk to you guys and answer some of your questions. Um, obviously, I'm not going to be able to know all of the answers, but I'll, I'll at least, if I can't answer anything, I will certainly signpost to various places that I think might be useful. Um, and so the Tuesdays we have a, a, a tutorial. I do a tutorial every, um, every Tuesday. At the moment it's Python. Um, it's Python control structures. So every programming language has a control structure or a series of control structures. Control structures is part of a programming language. So we've been focusing on that on Python. That is on a Tuesday. Uh, however, that's coming to an end and I have an announcement on a new course that I've been doing, um, but I'll get to that in just a second. On the Fridays, we have another video um, where it's a pre-recorded video, although I'm still yet to record this one, um, on uh, programming and web development. So basically this Wednesday is just sort of a catch up, a Q&A, if you will, uh, a bit of a rant, a bit of a ramble, time to let off some steam, time to relax. Um, the topic, the loose topic that I want to talk about is CDNs, those pes pesky little um, um, uh, content delivery networks. <laughs> uh, and more to do with the fact of moving assets, large amounts of assets from one server to many servers. And the, the implement, implication of that um, in terms of time, because here I'm talking about assets that are perhaps 200 gigabytes upwards. Um, so lots of images, lots of videos, lots of little files, um, and moving that from one server, which is fairly slow, to um, to distributed servers, and how how best to tackle that. It was it was a challenge that I was given uh, recently by one of my 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 uh, my clients, and um, it it does take an awful lot of time. Um, basically one thing that we were sort of mulling through was getting all the stuff off of the main box and onto a local box that has fast hard drives and then synchronizing from that point 
off to wherever it needs to be. And that way you basically have a three-way sync. So you're synchronizing assets from the server, from wherever it is, to a local server. And that can be done on a cron. So every night or every every hour or, or every week or whatever, we can synchronize between the two. Then we have a synchronization between where that is to wherever it needs to be in, in the CDN world. Um, and by doing the, that sort of like three-way sync, it, 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 it has allowed us to um, look at the pinch points because what we didn't want to do is synchronize from, say, the master server to the CDNs because we didn't want to put pressure on too many reads from the from the from the master box if you will um and we didn't actually know how long this would take and it's actually taken a very very long time and um we wanted to do it in kind of a local sort of environment a local safe environment which meant that we had then control from the from the the secondary synchronizing point onwards um which meant that we were putting up barriers, you know, forcing forcing synchronization to go through an extra hop, um, which meant that we can control that barrier at that point in time. The point being is that once that first synchronization is done, there shouldn't be any more uh, lots of huge synchronizations because the, 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 this whole thing is like a migration of, of assets. So we're trying to sort of migrate away from where it currently all is stored at the moment and onto a content delivery network. But in doing so, we want to basically bounce assets from a server somewhere, you know, the master box, if you will, down to, to a local box and then on again to a CDN. And the first initial sync is obviously the biggest one because it is like everything. Um, and that is taking a huge amount of time, um, as you would expect, right? It's, it's like 200, 300 odd gigabytes of stuff. So it is, it is taking a lot of time annoyingly so because you can't sort of predict time and you are at the mercy of hardware because the hardware will i mean just the throughput of the of the pipes going into the network that kind of thing so you are restricted there's so many levels of bottlenecks um and then once it's on the drive you have to wait for the drive to then sort of like index everything or whatever it does. I don't really know. I'm not a hardware guy, but it, it obviously does something to then allow for the synchronization to know what is and what isn't on the box. The tools that we've been playing with or I've been playing with is SCP, which is the secure copy and paste, um, which is through an, an SSH tunnel and also rsync. Very, very good for synchronizing um, assets from one place to another. Um, and then and then um, S3, which is the, the AWS storage stuff, um, the object storage. So you can kind of synchronize that up to that too, which, which has been good. But it has taken a lot of time. And it's one of those things that you get asked, how long is something going to take? And you cannot give a definitive answer. You can't say, oh, well, say... 10 gigabytes is going to take this long and therefore I've got 200 gigabytes. So it's going to take this long because what we've discovered is that 
the, the time actually gets longer and longer and longer the longer the script runs because it's having to do all of this indexing in the background or we think the hard drives are or whatever the servers are, whatever. There is a bottleneck that is increasing the more the script is running. And then we found that if we stop the script, run the script again, it starts quicker than had we have just left it going. Um, so again, like I said, I ain't a hardware guy. I've got no idea what's going on uh, in terms of how the bits and bytes are being moved from, from one hard drive to another hard drive. I don't have that sort of expertise on on that, nor do I have any desire to. I just copy and paste files from one place to the other like anybody else. Um, but it, it, is, it isn't this thing where you can say, yes, it's going to take a week or it's going to take two days or it's going to take an hour because you just simply don't know. Um, so, so that's, and, and it's, it's also knowing when to stop. It's also knowing that it's actually taking far longer than it should take, even though that should take is kind of an arbitrary sort of unknown. Um, and we're going to swap out the hard, hard hardware to something a little bit quicker with that time that's already been elapsed in taking up this this project, would that be uh, reconciled by switching out and putting in some new kit? That's a kind of complete unknown, but it's kind of, it's one of those things. It's like, how do we make this faster? But at the same time, every change we make to the hard, hardware, we're gonna have to restart from scratch. So it's kind of like you're in it and you're committed. So yeah. It's one of those, it's, this is why this area of DevOps is something that I just really don't like. I, I don't like moving huge stuff and managing huge stuff um, because I, there is, it, it's not a tan, tangible thing for me. It's very difficult to estimate. And as a freelancer, that is horrendous um, because you can't, you, you can't sit there looking completely stupid going, yeah, I don't actually know. No idea. <laughs> Meh. <laughs> but, you know, it, it is what it is. So CDNs, that is what I've been working on. Um, and uh, the CDN part of that, I should explain, is getting that up to S3, getting that up to CloudFront, getting that up to other content delivery networks, getting that up to um, lots of distributed um, boxes that can synchronize across the, the the plane, if you will, of of what we need. And um we're kind of like we can we can we're almost at that point. So I'm almost at that point. I'm almost at the point of of saying yes, this is the the URL of the CDN. And that's another point. So a challenge that I've faced with other projects, other clients, is when they do something in a WYSIWYG editor, say it's Tiny MCE or FCK editor or whatever. Anyway, whatever. And they go and embed, it could even be WordPress. They embed um, an image into the content. Yeah, fine. Um, but they've, unknowing to them because they're not techies, have created a hard link back to that asset. That asset then gets saved into the database, which means that when a client comes to you and says, I want to move these files from this box and put them on that box, it's not as simple as just going, yes, okay, we can do that. It's just, you know, a, a, 
a geeky version of control control c control v right there's a lot more involved because you're now playing with databases um because the actual path to that file needs to be changed and a lot of a lot of the projects that i've been working on recently they've all had an, a significant element of legacy to them and those paths have been quite large as in lots of them so it's not just a single slash images path path or a slash i don't know wp underscore uploads path for the for the wordpress it, it's kind of all over the place and you need to sort of rational rationalize that into something that is logical because at the end of the day you end up with with a cdn you end up with a a url a uri i should say um which is like a dynamic link and then you can do like forward slash and then wherever the the asset is in that cdn but you want to be able to customize that dynamic link because you don't want to be stuck with a particular cdn but you want to ensure that your path back to that asset is correct so when you go and change your cdn to something completely different the uri is obviously going to change right at the start so you want to ensure that you're not hard coding that into the database um because then you can change some you can do some interesting things with cores you could do some interesting which is the cross origin resource stuff you could also do some interesting things with ht access to redirect to do like a mod redirect um oh, uh, sorry a rewrite a, a module rewrite in apache or nginx to then divert anything that is slash images to be from that cdn and therefore you only have to change that one single line like the start of the uri to be the new cdn so once you've once you've agreed upon a structure of your assets, it's then easy to move those assets from one CDN to the next. Um, and, and if you had a server, an actual server that you were serving things from, then you could do some very clever things with, um, with your vhosts to change the different rules to where all the assets are. So it doesn't have to be as strict as, you know, slash images slash layout, whatever, um, it, it, you could make that up and then alter that in kind of like a mapping kind of way. Um, but the point I want to make is it's the really, it's the start. It's the, it's the HTTPS dot dot forward slash forward slash. If that is in the database somewhere, then it's very tricky to move an asset from one box to the other without, um, uh running any kind of scripts to update it now i'm just looking at the stream here and i've frozen so i have no idea if anyone is still watching this do send me a message and say no you haven't frozen because it looks like i have <laughs> and i haven't heard any any messages so perhaps i have frozen i'm going to continue chatting on um but uh if anybody is watching do let me know Not sure. Not sure if this is working. Anyway, um, so that that has basically been my life for the past um, few days, sort of scratching my head as to how 
we can move these things in a more in an, an efficient way, in a way that is um, robust and future proof, um, and coming up with scripts to alter these paths that are in the database and, and other bits and pieces. Um, and this is this is something that happens with every client that I'm with when they want to move from one box to the other box. Um, it isn't, like I said, as easy as just copying and pasting files from one thing to the other or doing a git poll or clone or whatever, because you have to work with where on earth these assets living and where could they be living later on. So lots of Lots of challenges, lots of challenges with that. But if you do have an opportunity to use a CDN, then I do recommend it because it, that I feel the benefits outweigh the negatives, um, especially with caching and storage and all of that jazz. And also the, um, the, the whole decentralizedness of it. It can be, you know, your assets could be anywhere in the world. We, you know, the closest to the person who is requesting those assets, which is, which is a good thing. Um, there's also other things to take into consideration when you are creating assets specifically for um, like JavaScript and CSS, because you have to pre-compile those before they go up and you have to push them up in a way that they can then see the other assets. So one of the difficulties I've hit uh, recently is um, Java, uh, sorry, CSS background images. So in the actual CSS, you have a URL, um, much like in the database, a URI, sorry, of that uh, asset. And you have to be, you have to decide, is that going to be, where is that in relation to, to the CDN? Is it on another CDN? Are the JavaScript files on a totally different CDN? Um, or the CSS files on a totally different CDN and they have to pull in the images from another CDN. It's all very weird. So you write some scripts in, say, NPM that uh, does all of this. I'm going to refresh this page because this is just spinning around and it's uh, not uh, it's not showing anything. But um, bear with me. This page isn't working. Marvelous. Have I actually come off of the internet? Ah, okay. I'm back, I think. Well, I do apologize to anybody who has just been seeing a, uh, just me stood there completely frozen like a robot or a mannequin. Um, yeah. So the course update that I want to give today is the AWS course on um, S3. I've done an, an 11 part series. 11 part tutorial um, course, if you will, on the command line, because I'm a command line guy on S3. Now that is 11 tutorials plus an introduction. So that's 12, 12 videos. And I do, as I said, at the start of this stream, I do a tutorial every week. So that's 12 weeks worth of footage. Now I've put all of that. I've done all of that. I spent so long over the last a month creating that. And I kind of hinted to this in the previous live stream um, about the future courses. And what I'm doing is I'm putting, I put, put all of that onto Patreon. Um, so if you want to support the channel and if you want to learn some AWS, then do check that out. I put the links in the show notes um, 
for that. And then what I'll be doing is drip feeding that content into YouTube every week. That's kind of how I work. So at the moment, there's still stuff from the Python course on Patreon that hasn't even been published yet. So I think there's like one or two tutorials left. And that course was like nine. So basically, I drop everything into Patreon and then I drip feed that back. But it means that now I can clear the decks and get on with another course, which means that when you're a, Patri a Patreon, a patron, um, you get all the stuff first. Whilst this is happening, I'm also sort of in the spare time working on the howtocodewell.net website um, because I would like to have that as a way of, like a platform, if you will, of all of the tutorials. Now, I've done something crazy, like 260-something, 70-something videos on YouTube, some of which aren't tutorials, but it's a hell of a lot to get through. So I am slowly working my way through building a system that will allow me to host those on the howtocodewell.net. And I haven't decided yet as to whether or not the videos that I have done already that I have scheduled up on YouTube should go straight to howtocodewell.net. I haven't decided. I don't know. There, There's a lot of um, questions that I need to ask myself about that as to how I would like to structure the courses. But if you guys uh, have any ideas, then do do let me know. Um, apparently, there are people watching this, so hello. <laughs> I don't know whether I've crashed or whether I haven't crashed. Um, I did refresh the page and then it all freaked out. So I do apologize if, if, uh, if I did flake out for a minute. Um, yeah, so I've been just doing a lot of bash scripts recently, creating a lot of bash scripts to rsync bits and pieces over. I've been doing a lot of Docker changes. One thing that I really have basically fallen in love with today is the AWS SDK PHP Symphony component, you could call it. It's it's kind of like this library that has so many SDK goodness for AWS in PHP. And what I did is I created an adapter, um, a, 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 a service class, an adapter to S3, which means now I can list buckets, create buckets, upload files, and do all of that jazz through um, a, a Symfony controller through potentially um, a API. The sun is just getting into my eyes here. Bear with me a minute. I'm just going to try and knock that down, that blind. Bear with me. Hey, that's slightly better. Slightly darker, but slightly better. So yeah, the AWS stuff um, I've been doing on PHP as well as just through the through the command line. Um, and the 11 part or 12 part course that I've got will go through how you can create buckets, delete buckets, synchronize buckets, how you can back up buckets, how you can move buckets, how you can um, do all sorts of things with an S3 bucket. So if you're interested in AWS S3 stuff, check out the link in the uh, show note bit. But that's basically all of the selling I'm gonna do today. <laughs> so, so coming up this week, um, we have 
we've got someone coming to install a cat flap because this is a new house. Um, we are, I've got to sort out the fence because that's got a hole in it. Um, yay. <laughs> and I've got to sort out the, uh, the AWS, uh, CDN NUS that we're, that I'm, that I'm currently working through and trying to find a way that can speed up the movement of assets from one thing to the other. Last week, I focused heavily on the security side of, of, of S3, of S3 to the extent where I blocked myself out from doing pretty much everything or anything. So then I had to really backpedal. I like, so the way I work is I like to be as restrictive as possible because, um, just because I like to know that, that, that I haven't made any unforeseen mistakes. So I try and alter the policies in the S3 buckets to be as restrictive as possible. Um, it also means that you start to learn more about the thing that you're doing, right? Because you're reading documentation. You're not just going, yeah, I'll make it public and then I'll get it to work. And then I'll worry about the privateness of it later on. Um, I try and I try and close that gap first because I find that that all of the security, all of the good practice will go quickly out of um, will be completely cut out of the project because that will be the last thing you do. So by changing it the other way, so it becomes the first thing you do, you are then setting a foundation for future development. So that's kind of how I work. So last week I got into the point where it was like, I can't do anything. I've set this thing to be so restrictive that I cannot upload any files to S3. I can't see any buckets in S3. So I, I, I slowly then started moving things away that would give me that sort of level of access. But it means that nobody else has access apart from me, which is comfortable. Um, it's not the quickest way of about it by a long shot. It certainly isn't because, um, you know, the, the, there was another developer working on this and that was completely, open. you know, he went straight in and created everything public and uploaded stuff and had something to show the client fine, but it was public. And that to me is more about the quality and the experience to know when you're a freelancer, you don't want to leave the client with a bad job because you know that is that's your name that you are you are putting out there, right? So yes, you might be able to do something fast, but if it's insecure, then I would rather be slow and secure than fast and insecure. Um, however, I from some other people I've spoken to, I would say that that would be in the minority of, of, of some of the commitments to the clients because um, a lot of the clients don't care. They will worry. They, they worry about security, sure, but it's not until there is a security risk that they start to worry about it. Does that make sense? It's sort of like, um, and it's the same for testing. It's this, and, and this is something that really has, it's frustrated me um, recently because testing is one of those things that 
I love to do. I love to do. It's one of those things that I think that we need to do. It's, it's something that is just part of the job. And there are attitudes out there where it is an extra additional charge to the client to test one's code. And I just, I find that appalling personally. And that sounds very brutal, but I do. I find that whole stance of trying to swindle the client out of more money just to test your own work is, is, is just, it's ludicrous. Because the thing is, if you were, if you were in any industry, you would just assume that they would test whatever they've done, right? You assume that when you get into your car, it's being tested to, to, to not blow up and explode when you're driving down the street. You don't pay extra for that. That isn't an additional service. And, and it's annoying because they can get the work done quicker and it's left to people like me who have to test their work. And it, that is tricky. That's um, because you're then having to explain to the client why it's taking you longer to do stuff. And it's because you are having to pick up the flack of someone else's work that hasn't been tested. And they fully know well that they haven't tested it because of the money issue. So it's like, you know, buying a car and then having to pay extra for the steering wheel. It's that kind of mentality. I don't understand it, but maybe it's because I don't have the same business head on. I see web development programming as a sort of a passionate thing. I'm very passionate about it and the tools that I use. I don't just see it as a thing that I can make money off of and then retire early and then there you go. So, you know, there you go. Um, do I TDD though? That's another story. I don't, I don't necessarily test everything before I do it. I try to, but I, uh, that's like 5% of the time. Do I ever succeed that? I will definitely, if there is a bug in production, I will definitely write a failing test in development to ensure that that is the same response. And therefore I can actually, um, replicate that. So the, the, oh, I can't replicate it on my machine. I want to try and circumvent that, sort that out and actually see the errors, see the error logs locally. It also means that once I have a test written for that, uh, I can ensure that that bug has never, doesn't come in again. But um, yeah, it's, it's one of those sort of weird balancing acts. Do you know, you can go to the complete nth degree and test every single little thing. Um, and that's going to take you eons. Or do you take the stance of, I'm going to test the things that are risky. And then once I've decided upon the level of acceptance of testing on that front, I will then test everything that comes back as a bug in production and maybe test and staging. Um, because you could literally test every getter and setter which I believe is pointless unless they are doing some really clever things to do with hanging other objects off of things or changing the values and states of stuff. If you're just testing a get and a set and that's all they're doing, then it's pointless. Um, you might, however, catch some, um, 
some uh, some issue with typos. Sure, okay, I, I'll give you that. But the, the actual writing the test is probably the same, if not more code than it is to actually write those getters and setters. So, you know, prioritization. And a lot of other people will see testing as a way of like this sort of unknown black hole that they can just say, yeah, I'm just testing. It's like this whole sort of thing of, I'm just compiling. You know, that's why I look like I'm not working or I'm testing. Like I haven't got anything to show for my work, but I've got TDDs. I've got a whole line of failing tests line up that I can show you. This is what it should do, but it doesn't do because I haven't actually tested, haven't actually written the code in order for that to work yet. Those failing tests to work. So yeah, it's, it's a double-edged jobby. Um, I think I've completely lost my trail. I was, I started this on CDNs and this is how it normally goes. I kind of rabbit off on going to a complete tangent. Um, I was also considering um, recently the different things I could do to um, spend more time doing tutorials, because this is something that I would really like to sort of um, increase. I don't like the fact that I'm only pushing out one tutorial a week because um, I have, I, I've obviously got more content, you know, more tutorials. However, it's this debate, this ongoing debate as to do I have enough time later in the year to keep the consistency levels up. Early this year, we started with, I think it was this year or late last year, we, we moved up to three videos a week. And I found that very difficult to begin with to actually keep going. Um, but it's now a sort of a, a, dare I say, a comfortable level where it becomes the new normal. This is a new, new normal Wednesdays, live stream, Fridays, um, just to chat. And then Tuesdays is a tutorial. And I was only able to do that AWS S3 series of tutorials simply because um, I had a, a gap in my weekends um, and evenings of last month where I was able to just crack on and get some stuff done. And I don't think I'm going to have that further on down the line like this year. Uh, and also because I'm a freelancer, there's a lot of times where I actually work in the evenings um, and crazy hours of the morning. So I can't, this, because this isn't my, because YouTube and free and, and, and building these courses is not my full-time job. I cannot treat it as such, um, which is a shame. Oop. All right. Just looking out the window. Um, Yes. So I can't treat it like that. So it's, it's, um, it's frustrating. It's something that I would love to do. I would love to, I mean, I, I wrote a list the other day of all the things that I would like to just, if I had the time, I would like to do JavaScript, React, I would do um, loads of AWS stuff because that's what I'm getting into at the moment. I would do lots of Python, lots of Flask. I would do just, I mean, stuff that we haven't even touched on. CSS, um, Kubernetes, just basically, and, and also projects. 
So I've always taken the stance of I'll teach the basics of code and the fundamentals and the principles first, and then we'll get on to projects, you know, build things, build registration forms in HTML, um, React, build mobile apps, all of that kind of thing, build things that you can actually take with you and do. I did a video the other week of how I feel the to-do app is the best app for learning um, pro programming, for learning how to use, um, uh, you know, databases, external storage, sessions, logins, all of that, all of that good stuff. The whole application side of it, not just learning how to create variables and objects and how to extend classes from one thing to the other or how to push assets to an S3 bucket. The actual physical act of making a project from start to finish is something that I have never done on this channel and it's something that I would love to do. I try to do a little bit with the, the Jekyll stuff and I try to do a little bit with the, um, what was the other thing? HTML, I tried to do that, but I just didn't have time. I just didn't have time. And it's frustrating because there is, I just feel like personally, I'm only giving sort of like 10% of what I, what I, what I feel comfortable doing on the channel, but it is just time because this isn't paying the bills, not, not even close. So I can't, and, but it's frustrating because it's always this thing of, of, of the community is the thing that is the, the driver, the, the, for, the force behind this is, is, is the, not just the questions that I get in terms of how does this thing work, but it's just the knowledge that you're actually helping and supporting. And, and it's, it's also vice versa. So there's a lot of things like, for example, um, there was a chap, uh, I'm going to completely bugger up his name. Um, he sent me a message earlier. It was, uh, I've, I'm, I've, I'm sorry. It's, uh, he sent me a message on the symphony, on a symphony tutorial on the container service. And it was a comment on the chat, on the, on the video. And he just said, um, you know, stick to PSR two. Uh, and he picked me up on the fact that, um, some of my braces weren't in the right position because they weren't PSR two standard. Um, and it's that, it's that kind of like that sort of feedback of it's actually making me better as a programmer. This whole thing is not a one-way process. It's a two-way process. And that is something that I am really, I just dig. I just love it because it's almost like you're being, every video you put out, you're putting yourself out, but you're also putting out what you know at that particular time. So if you do something wrong in that tutorial, someone's going to pick that up and tell you, obviously, as long as that's in a nice constructive criticism type way, which this guy did extremely well, um, I should say, um, he, it wasn't just, you've got ugly code, sort it out and, you know, shouldn't be a programmer, blah, blah, blah. It was, this is the recommendations, the PSR two, try and stick to this stuff. You know, it, he was able to signpost me to things that I was aware of, but I just, I just didn't do and I should have done. And since then, I've actually updated my PHP Storm IDEs to give me a warning every time things aren't in that PSR2. Um, I think I've got it all the way up to six. Um, it depends on what project it is because 
like I said, I do do a lot of stuff on legacy code. So you don't want to enter, a, you don't want to just put your IDE on, or load up a, a file and then suddenly you've got like, you know, a hundred warnings. That's happened. hundred is low. <laughs> what was I working on the other day? It was like, um, there was an art, there was a function, a PHP function, and it had, I kid you not, 20 plus arguments in the function. Anyway, um, yes, thank you, Rich Williams, for uh, saying that. You don't know, I don't know how I fit it all in, but I w would like to fit more in. <laughs> I would like to fit more in. Um, I would also like to do some more speaking as well. I haven't got speaking another conference lined up yet. Uh, I really should, should do so. Um, and thank you, Evil Genius, for the thumbs up. Um, I do appreciate all, your, all of your feedback. Um, listen, I've taken up too much of your time already, and um, I, I just want to end this by thanking everyone for subscribing to the channel. Um, we have somehow hit 4,300, and it's saying at the top, 4,354. Give yourselves a high five. Thank you ever so much for subscribing. It means awesome so much to me. And I hope that we can, we can continue this. I hope I can sustain this um, as weeks go on. But do check out that AWS course. Do check out those Python tutorials. Subscribe if you haven't done so. Share this around to other programmers who you might think might be useful. And uh, Rich Williams has just said, why don't you do Tuts explaining what <laughs> Rich has Rich Williams has said, "Why don't you do um, tutorials explaining what the hell the PHP official site is going on about? Not sure who uses it. If you know PHP, you don't need it. If you don't know PHP, you are confused." Yeah, <laughs> it's actually it's actually the PHP.net documentation is actually really good in my opinion. It's just knowing where it is, like knowing exactly what is that you need, to, you kind of need to know the answer before you ask the question. So it is, it's that kind of like, but then, it, but then that's the same in, in all of this. But the thing is the difference between that documentation and say symphony documentation is it's not, it's not, um, it's not explaining how uh, something can be built. It's not saying that a login showing you how a login thing can be built. It's explaining how namespaces are used. It's explaining how arrays are used. It's explaining the very generics of programming. Anyway, see you again soon. See you next week um, on another live stream. Thanks ever so much for watching. Happy coding, everyone. I'll see you again soon. Cheers. Bye.